Capes and Crooks, a superhero RPG utilizing core 5th edition rules with a unique twist. Take on the role of your own superhero, or villain. Completely customizable origins, powers, and enhancements. Utilize advanced technology to aid in your mission. Join us in Cobalt City and the ultra-modern world of Terra. Dive into the political intrigue and chaos of a world still adjusting to superpowered citizens. In a world where what is right and what is the law often conflict, how will you choose to use your powers and conceal your identity? Capes and Crooks is a complete RPG game with everything you need to create a super experience sure to delight your players. It includes over 300 pages of content with full color illustrations. There will always be good and evil, light and dark. There will always be Capes and Crooks. Now live on Kickstarter, please become a backer today and share with your friends. Hello, heroes. This episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Podcorn. If you don't know, Podcorn is an amazing marketplace that connects podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and so much more. Yeah, actually, their mission is actually to give uh, podcasters some transparency and some creative freedom to uh, control uh, how they monetize things, actually. It's really cool. Yeah, it is pretty dope. And on top of that, you don't have to give up any rights for your podcast. And in fact, they are there to support you at every step of the way. And they also are there to ensure that you are protected and that you are compensated for your work. Yeah. Which is actually really important for up-and-coming streamers yeah. or podcasters, anyone like that. Just like us. we uh, Trying to find sponsorships can be really challenging when you're smaller. Mm -hmm. um, so Podcorn really gave us the opportunity even to do this ad that we're running right now was only made possible by Podcorn. Explore your sponsorship opportunities and start monetizing your podcast right now. Head on over to podcorn.com slash podcasters to sign up right now. Do it. Do it now. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. We hope to inspire you with creative content you can bring with you on your next adventure. We want to thank you guys for joining us here today at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a world of villains without superheroes. Which, yeah. that's a horrible world. <laughs> Shoot. I watched, like, DuckTales yesterday, and during the Darkwing Duck episode, it's like... I'm here in the. I am a superhero in a city with no villains. It's a pleasant sound. <laughs> <laughs> DuckTales, that's funny. I haven't seen that show in years. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I'm doing the 2017 series. It's actually pretty good. But anyway. They remade it? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. All right. Uh, I'm really excited for today's show. We are going to be talking superheroes in your 5th edition D&D game. I am super stoked uh, to talk about this. This is something we've been working on for many, many months. And mm -hmm. to discuss Capes and Crooks with you is something I'm super stoked about. Um, but before all that, um, I'd like to take a minute to let everyone know that our Memorable Monsters is now available in PDF, softcover, and hardcover. Um, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com into our store section, and you can find the PDF there or a link to the soft and hardcover. Uh, mm. I want to thank everyone that, that backed it. If you don't know, Memorable Monsters is 50 unique monsters for your stories and campaigns. They are fully fleshed out backgrounds, complex motives, ideals, bonds, and flaws. To us, monsters are more than just stat blocks. And with this awesome resource, not only can you have interesting and engaging NPCs and villains in your world, but it'll save prep time in doing so. Um, you can pull them right out of the book. You, they, we give you a multitude of ways to utilize them, from a merchant to a villain to a, an, an informant to even an ally. So it's definitely something we're super proud of, and we hopefully you will uh, check it out. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and check it out. Uh, before we move on to our main topic, uh, we do like to start off every episode on a high note, and we do that by giving away fat loots to you, our audience. 
Uh, and our first RPG Fat Loot giveaway today is the Cliffs of Mur from Tall Kiwi Publishing. The Cliffs of Mur, Mur, yeah, this has a little, the little two dots over it. I didn't notice that beforehand. Uh, is a four to five session adventure for eighth to tenth level characters designed around a series of mysterious and ever changing portals. Caught up in the mayhem, the parties sent tumbling through time and space to remote and unique locations as they battle to find their way out of the interdimensional maze. That sounds awesome. Uh, but our winner today uh, is Laura Katzensteiner. Uh, congratulations. Hopefully you get out of the maze. I will wish you the best, because I would not, knowing you know how this table operates. Uh, but if you didn't win, uh, don't worry. That means you're not stuck in a maze. But on top of that, you can head over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win. Uh, it's super easy. It's free. That's the big part. And you hey, never know. Yes. You might win this maze. <laughs> yes, it's a very cool product. I enjoyed reading through it, so... Um, all right, let's uh, move on to our main topic, Capes and Crooks, a superhero 5th edition game for your D&D, Dungeons & Dragons game. Uh, I'm super excited for this. As I said, we have been uh, working on it for almost, I don't know, I think I started it uh, late la late last year or mid to late last year, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of work goes into this. Um, I'm super stoked because this is our upcoming Kickstarter, our... Um, that releases on June 29th of this month, and while we are kickstarting it, because there's still a lot more to do, we do have a good starter pack that obviously my players have been playtesting and stuff, and that's been a mm -hmm. lot of fun. Um, and really, I just wanted to 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 delve into the superhero genre. I was a big fan of Mutants and Masterminds and, you know, G Gamma World, which is more post-apocalyptic, but uh, um, a lot of good stuff out there, and I really wanted to take my favorite you know, game series and turn it into uh, a superhero one. So, absolutely. So, I guess to start things off, what is Capes and Crooks? Well, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the world of Capes and Crooks is a place of science, technology, evolution, and even some lost magics. Um, in it, there's going to be, you know, vigilante heroes, dangerous villains, heroic moments that are always present. And it begins with a basis in a semi-futuristic, I think the term is coined as ultra-modern, mm -hmm. uh, world. And it adds splashes of advanced technologies, monstrous creatures, and places and powers that really make the Capes and Crooks world of Terra distinct. <laughs> The one thing I really wanted to do with it is I really – I like superheroes, but I also like the ones that come from technology. So I felt that setting it in the, the future was a better idea because then we can get away with, you know, having s superheroes that aren't just necessarily superpowered themselves, but like Batman or Iron mm -hmm. Man get their power from the access to technology <laughs> that they, they have. Um, what really – you know, I would. I was gonna say. I think that would even make it a little more believable that you know these people have these sort of things as commonplace because technology is so advanced now mm -hmm. that it's almost like mass produced, so that everyone can have these like um, anti gravity grappling hooks, like and stuff like that. Like it's uh, <laughs> always fun to mess with. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's really cool about Terra is that the world is just recently awoken to to superheroes the event called the rise um mm -hmm. basically is 20 percent of the population all of a sudden found themselves with gifts and the world doesn't really know how to deal with that so there's a lot of uh political issues going on in dealing with people that can fly and and you know melt buildings with their mind and and you know throw trucks with you know their uh, you know a kick a boot kick you know mm -hmm. and so the world hasn't had time to get used to the fact that there are these super beings we call them deviants um out there, you know, a, a chain, a set of handcuffs isn't going to hold somebody with super strength or somebody that can, you know, elongate or off. stretch. Yeah, right. Um, and so, 
when you're playing Capes and Crooks, the idea is that you're going to be dealing with the side's effects of the world trying to develop a way to deal with them. And that's what I really think sets it apart from uh, other superhero worlds. Um, the biggest thing, though, is being a hero is still against the law. Um, it's not something that is accepted because heroes fail. You guys learned this in the in the, the playtest, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yep. Besides the effects of being a hero, do you guys got any specific examples you wanted to share? So within our like first few sessions of Capes and Crooks, um, we actually kind of immediately found out what it was and what it took to like uh, what being a hero meant when we all kind of converged and actually went at this kind of as vigilantes. And what really, I guess, uh, sold the idea that this was like really against the law and it wasn't meant to be like a socially accepted thing was when we actually failed to catch the villain the first time at like a bank robbery. And it would have all been okay if heroes had not intervened because we made a negative stigma towards all of the, um, like the public essentially. Cause we would, since people had seen that we got involved in the situation and the bad guy got away, it wasn't the police's fault that the bad guy got away. It was the intervention of this third party that the police couldn't contain that no one could contain that allowed them to get away. Because that's how the public is going to see it. That's how all the reporters are going to see it. That's how they're going to write it down. And that was the big thing that really kind of sold that, like, we're kind of good guys, but the world doesn't view us as good guys. Yeah, uh, very much they view you, uh, the um, what is it, in, in, in the Spider-Man comics, they've got uh, the, the Daily Bugle, who mm-hmm. basically constantly says Spider-Man's uh, a menace. That's kind of, there's a, a culture in the world that believes that you're only making it worse, even though the heroes are actively trying to do something nice and trying to use their powers for right. You don't all, you don't start off a perfect successful hero. You're going to make mistakes and that's what some of the world is focusing on. And so because of that, it's still against the law. And you guys got to experience that firsthand that, Hey, mm-hmm. these people may not have died if we would have just left them alone. Um, which was very intriguing. So that was a, that was a really good example. Uh, that's the thing that Capes and Crooks focus on as well is public opinion. That's something you're going to have to deal with and revealing your true identity to uh, anybody and revealing it is going to cause you a lot of problems because you're still breaking the law. Oh. <laughs> uh, Ian, did you have anything? I mean, kind of going off that, during that first adventure, things ironically would have unfolded better like, given like the... Game style you, you went with had we left the situation alone because otherwise, either way, let's be real here, the villain would have gotten away unless we rolled really absurdly high on insight. But the, the difference right. is, had we not intervened, no hostage would have died. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And that's the place of tone. Without question. And that's. And that's the, a big part of like Cobalt City, because um, you've got the police who do the law enforcement. But when Vane built all the cities, Cobalt City, Diamond, when they built all these cities around the world to draw the deviants in, they put their own policing force out there that are specifically designed to deal with deviant uh, deviants and superpowered people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a problem for heroes because the DRT aren't going to. Um, aren't going to care if you're on one side or the other, um, yeah. and they're going to try to capture you regardless. So, yeah. but that's really, I think, what sets you know Capes and Crooks apart from a lot of the other uh, uh, superhero RPGs. And why did you choose going with the fifth edition as a basis instead of another RPG core system, or making one from scratch? That's actually a really good question. So originally, I, w- I actually had considered doing like a, a, a my own RPG setting, um, but the more I thought about it, I, I believe that Fifth Edition was already well designed to be able to fit across a multitude of genre types without needing much changing. Don't get me wrong; there is some changing that needed to be done to make it feel super. But the system is already well defined. I knew the system really well, and since you know. RPGs have never been more popular. Specifically, D&D has never been more popular. It made sense to, to, to take that model and 
expand upon it because if there's one thing I've learned over my years of being a role player, it's harder to get people into another RPG when they're already playing one. So yes. from a from a business standpoint, it made sense to say, okay, well, you don't have to know any of the other rules. You, If you know 5e, you can easily jump into this and use it. And mm-hmm. because it's 5th edition compatible, uh, a DM could even include this into their setting if they so desired. Um, and that makes it that much easier for people um, to change genres without having to change systems. Um, mm-hmm. And since 5th edition was the most popular, it just made the most sense. And... All of our content creation, all my understanding uh, has pushed pat, pushed into 5th edition. But that has allowed me to uh, – I, d- I did make changes. <laughs> I'm going to set that right out there. There's some stuff that needed to change to make it feel more like a superhero. But they were very minor in the grand scheme of how many rules there are. Mm-hmm. So, Also, I just want to add on to that. Creating your own system and making sure it's cohesive and it works and it all – functions nominally in terms of like uh game design is very daunting uh in any capacity even when you're taking inspiration from other things it is still incredibly hard and without a lot of proper testing it and trying to make things break on like a you know on a mechanical and and uh like even trying to like destroy the framework of the game with the rules that you have set yeah. like matters. So using fifth edition, which is already uh, a pretty versatile yep. rule set in general, it really does kind of segue very easily into this, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and wizards of the coast releasing the SRD, which basically says here, you can use all of this gives you a great starting point. Um, yes. And you can see that in our, our Capes and Crooks because a lot of the powers that are in the SRD are have made their way into Capes and Crooks because, once again, it gives you a good jumping off point. The most notable is the Barbarian features. That just makes for a perfect Hulk-style brutish character. So there's an archetype called the Brute that has some of those core mechanics uh, in it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so that was uh, something that really was I struggled with it like I said I wanted to oops I wanted to create this this game and I did look at other systems uh, I looked at uh Palladium I think is what it's called I looked at Savage 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 Worlds Savage War Worlds I was really close to going with Savage Worlds instead of uh 5th edition but there was already a lot of superhero Savage Worlds um just uh, stuff out there Yes, so yeah. I decided that I would go for where there's a, a potentially I mean, a bigger shoot, market. There's actually a first party core rulebook for Savage Worlds, and does yeah, not give all the third party support that it got. Right. Yep, and that's so that's part of why I ended up going with fifth edition. Plus, honestly, I just love the fifth edition rule set. So, fair enough. What makes it different from a normal five E D and D game aside from the the setting, right? Because we obviously can see that right. you know it's with superheroes and a futuristic society, sure. But what beyond that? Um, so, uh, good question. Um, I actually have a PDF pulled up right now that I'm going to make, uh, show up on the screen just to give you an idea. Just keep in mind that these are, um, this is very early content. I see, uh, George is in chat is asking about, is there going to be, uh, some sample content in a PDF released? Um, right now our plan is to have sample sets go to our backers, but it'll be actually a full play test. Um, where we've basically what we've been playing with. And, uh, mm-hmm. so that'll be available for backers because right now the, the playtest group is only going to be like 10 players. Um, so we want to expand that. And the best way to do that was for, for backers. Um, that way it's not considered a, a published product because we don't know what changes it'll undergo. But I'm going to go ahead and pop up the, uh, the PDF up on. <coughs> here. So the one thing I want to talk about first is the origins. In D&D, they've already got a tool for this. We call them races, right? And I wanted something that separated uh, the heroes beyond just their um, basic powers, right? So we developed the, the origins. So we took the concepts of the races and changed them so that they are origins of where a person's power might come from. In our in our uh, playtesting, I think uh, Matt, his came from lightning strike, so he ended up having the uh, freak accident uh, 
uh, origin, which yep. basically he came up with this whole string of these chance events that happened and led to him, you know, becoming Chimera and being able to, you know, shoot lightning from his hands. So in this one, you can see that uh, we have the the freak accident gives you the ability to increase two of your different ability scores. Um, it determines your languages. You get an innate skill and then you get an innate power. Um, and that's very much, uh, in line with like a, a human variant for feats, except, mm-hmm. uh, uh, this one, they get a level superpower instead of a feat, which is pretty potent. Now it does have long rest before you can use it again, but that basically just gives you a power that doesn't count against your other stuff. So it right. offsets it a little bit and it feels customizable. In the same token, uh, we have the Beastmen, right? Which is somebody that's a hybrid of some sort of animal, uh, however you want to do it. Whether you want to play like a werewolf or maybe you want to play an owlbear, I guess. You could totally just do that with the Beastman traits. And then you pick uh, one of several options of your bestial origin. One increases armor, one makes you more agile, the other one gives you keen senses or natural weapons. But that's not... that's. Uh, once again, it's like the races that makes it more versatile depending on which one you want to pick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, You're going to notice the, a lot in this uh, that versatility is the name of the game in this, not necessarily specialization. Yes, um, and uh, I, I'm going to be running a game for the guys from One Shot Onslaught soon, and uh, they they texted me and said, this is the most fun I've had making a character ever during character creation. I was like, man, y'all should have recorded that because I would have loved to hear it. Um, they were super excited and that made me excited. What did you guys think about the character creation process? Because I think that's way different than than 5e. For me, at least, I thought like uh, some areas I would have liked to be more in-depth weren't, but vice versa. But overall, though, I definitely had quite a bit of fun. Especially, and I think you have a lot more options compared to like the core 5th edition D&D game. Absolutely. Shoot. Yeah. Because as you were saying, what you were trying to move away from archetypes, and as a result, you kind of made a lot more of the different archetypes into like enhancements or abilities and so forth, which mm-hmm. in many ways opened it up. Yeah, yeah and and that's the the big thing. Like, um, I have one. There's one hero table. The advancement table is the same for all heroes. At level one, you get a roll power, depending on which roll you pick. Then you get to pick two at wills of the, like, 60-plus that are there. Um, you get... Uh, there's a lot. A no- there's a known power, so I think you, you know two. I can, I can right there. You know two, and then you get one power slot at level one, and then one enhancement. And then as you get stronger, you get more of those, and you can swap them out if you want. Um, and as you evolve, you get these more unique, uh, unique development options for your character, uh, mm-hmm. which is what I wanted. I wanted something where somebody could go, okay, I want to fill a, a, a role. I want to play somebody like Iron Man. So I'm going to pick the exosuit, but I'm not limited to powers based on the exosuit. The exosuit gives you certain powers, but then you can get powers on top of it. Because one thing that I know I always liked is some heroes have many powers. Superman is a great example example he's got flight he's got speed he's got strength he's got laser eyes he's got cold breath i mean he has all these different features tied into one person and that's Mm kind of what i wanted to replicate and by giving options to the players to pick those it just uh is they kind of allowed me to to tackle that um so i guess i kind of uh jumped into uh the the two two questions there so uh, the other thing is we mentioned roles. The roles are a very core set of powers. In this case, uh, I'll, I'll pick something besides the brute. Uh, let's go with, actually, I want to go with the gadgeteer because that's my favorite right now. We'll do jumper. Jumper's fun. So here we have the jumper. This is a character all about teleportation. So everything that comes with this role has to do with teleportation. One of the powers is flicker which as a bonus action allows you to teleport. And then this character gets double the teleport range because that's what they specialize in it. So if mm-hmm. a jumper picks up Flicker or gets Flicker and somebody else picks up Flicker, the jumper is still going to be better at it. That's just part of the core of being a jumper or a teleporter or whatever you... Right now, mm-hmm. that's what we're calling it. Um, they also get some bonuses. So when they when they teleport behind somebody, they get advantage on their next attack, which encourages them to jump around between enemies. Um, and of course, those evolve into mass teleportation and, and, and transposition, swapping places with people and all kinds of cool stuff like that. Um, but what I really want to uh, talk about is, well, I think that that's 
that's really what separates it from a normal a D, normal D and D game. I think. Um, yeah. I don't think I missed anything. Did I? No, not really. I mean, you you kind of tackled the the main the main stuff. Honestly, you should really look at these uh, these roles uh, that are they look like classes. But honestly, think of them as just giant scaling enhancements. <laughs> that's what you that's what you should think of them as. They give you a bunch of stuff. They do not mean you have to specialize in that stuff at all. Right. They like are just there and they scale with you. Like one good example of during the playtest game that we played, both me and Austin both played crime fighters. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we made completely different characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a really cool, cool thing to see how different they were. Like he focused more on like the martial arts aspect and trying to do uh ninja esque stuff. And I was like, Yeah, I can like run in and hit people sure but also i have magic powers and i can fly so <laughs> it was a very <laughs> two very different things that uh ended up happening which was very cool yeah. ninja versus demon that's a really good way to pretty describe pretty much it there, yeah uh, silver wolf um the other thing is we still do have backgrounds um but instead of backgrounds they're called alter egos right yes. so the different alter egos just like backgrounds give you a collection of different powers whether it's the average joe um, the lawyer, the businessman, the reporter, um, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a collection of them that give you, you know, access to new skills. We did change, I did change the skills. There's no more history or arcana. It's just lore or wait, history, arcana, no lore, arcana and religion might be lore. Actually, I think history might still be in there. Um, I changed up those a little bit, um, because then it can kind of cover all the bases there and we added technology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that covers that question. <laughs> yeah. And we kind of touched on this already, but what would you say some of the core differences between Capes and Crooks and D&D is? Uh, the one thing I think is one of the biggest difference is the way we handle at-will powers and enhancements. Uh, yes. Let me, let me go find the section of superpowers here. So there's uh, the class. There's several classification of powers, right? You have an at will, which is some at will. That's something you can use repeatedly, uh, similar to making an attack or a cantrip. Um, then you have superpowers, which line up closer to D and D's fifth edition spells, where you have a limited number of power slots and they drain out, and you have to rest before you can get them back. But those rests, um, we change the short rest time from an hour to. F- to basically five minutes. So mm-hmm. all your powers basically come back between every encounter um, and recharge quickly so you can use them more often. But that also means you're limited to how many you can use in one combat scenario. Um, right. Did you guys find that too uh, too restrictive at all? Or was that a good good balance? No, not at all. I thought it was just fine. Yeah. I mean, it... It pretty much allowed me to kind of just keep blowing through my powers every encounter. Uh, because I was just like, well, I just need five minutes, right? That, that's easy. I can, right. like, we literally are in a, in a taxi cab. That's five minutes. You already have your powers back now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it is, it comes back far quicker than you would ever get in a, excuse me, in a normal D&D game, I would think. But, or rather, that's how it uh, feels, uh, but that also means that because uh, you know you're taking those short rests, you know, nonstop, uh, you do run into the the issue of I have no hit dice if I wanted to use them because I was dumb and tried to use them all day today. I've been a little <laughs> too overzealous, that kind of thing. But I mean, if you're getting your powers nonstop back and you have people with like cure wounds or something, like it's you feel pretty powerful. <laughs> and and that's that's the goal, right? And actually, somebody mm-hmm. did mention that. Albert says uh, that does sound uh, OP. Um, and it's balanced in a way that, yes, um, we offset that because, you know, if the players can do it, the monsters can do it. And I'm sure Ian said that in combat somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's worth noting is we've changed some of the monsters, too. We've introduced cronies and henchmen. Cronies that go down in one hit and henchmen that go down in two hit, regardless of how much damage they receive that mm-hmm. kind of offsets the fact that they're powerful because I can just throw waves and waves of these, these, these foot at them or the hand or whoever comic book may believe group of enemies are, or you want to throw at them, the, the, the cronies. Right? right. And I think that that kind of deals with the fact that they have more frequent and more powerful abilities. What did you guys think about those? 
About like the cronies the, or about yeah the cronies and the henchmen. I was like, I was thinking okay with that because it's just it's always kind of fun when you can take out an enemy in one shot. Period. Yeah, it's yeah. also just a lot like keeps combat fluid. You're just kind of mowing down through hordes of regular people because well they are regular people and you are a super powered you know mutant. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> Uh, it also means that the DM doesn't have to keep track of Elf. They can just be like, oh, they got hit. Yeah, he's, he's gone. He's out now. He that certainly made it easier for me. And of course, obviously, the bosses all have hit points and everything, just like every other monster. Right. But yeah. it, it also allowed me to reward the player for coming up with creative ideas. Like, if Ian goes out of his way to angle so he can capture a whole bunch of them, well, then they're all going to go down. Um, and that's definitely one way we dealt with the, the, the power creep that's uh, present in, uh, playing, uh, recharging your powers after a five minute rest. Hmm. Now, the other thing that we changed was the at will powers, the at will powers. Um, one thing 5e did really well was cantrips for spellcasters, but what I didn't like, but what I didn't like is that they don't change over time. A, a, a firebolt at, first level is the exact same at 20th level, just with more power. Um, so what we decided to do is have the powers evolve and change over time. Mm-hmm. Because uh, heroes, they learn to change the way they use their powers and get more creative with them as they get better at them. And so I wanted to find a way to make that kind of come through. So we'll use an example that everyone probably knows. We have uh, acid, acid Blast here, which is uh, acid as Acid Splash, maybe. I don't remember what the original was. but um, So like it's uh, it starts off as the basic cantrip, which does you know uh, make a ranged power attack against the creature to assail it with its, its flesh with melting acid. On a hit, it takes 1d8 acid damage and the target can't regain hit points uh, until the start of your next turn. Until then, acid drips from the, the target. So that's all it does when you first pick it up. That's not a big deal. It doesn't do a whole lot. It just does a little damage. You can cast it at will, whether it's shooting out of your eyes, you're shooting it out of a gun, out of your hands, out of your ass, whatever you decide as the player. Um, once you hit fifth level, though, on a hit, the target suffers the effects of the lingering acid. Remember it said the acid drips from the target? Mm-hmm. At the start of each of the target's turn, it takes 1d6 acid damage. The target can make a con saving throw at the end of each of its turns to end the effect, or somebody can use a healing kit or a medicine check to end it as well. So now it went from just doing straight-on damage to now doing damage over time. So as you hit multiple targets, they begin to seep and, and melt away, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what we were... I wanted to go with, but now by 17th level, it changes even more. Well, 11th level, it gets more damage and the area becomes bigger, um, that it can, uh, it can eat through up to 10 foot of metal. And then at 17th level, it, you know, does 3d8, but now the target has disadvantage on their next attack roll. So anybody you hit with it now, um, takes damage and has disadvantage on their attacks. So the, the power evolves and changes as they get stronger. What did you guys think about that kind of core, um, uh, mechanic feature? Generally speaking, I liked it because, as you kind of pointed out, the damage cantrips by base and position, yeah, they scale in regards to damage, but that's it. And the non-combat cantrips don't change at all. No, nope, do it doesn't matter think, how masterful you are with your power. Yeah. Yep. And I do think it, it is nice that this is addressed, if you will, to have those non-combat abilities scale as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh... Another really good example is Firebolt, right? Firebolt. What's the difference between Heat Vision and Firebolt and a laser gun? Not, not a whole hell of a lot. Um, so we, we've got Heat Ray, which basically does 1d10 fire damage and lights things on fire. And at 5th level, it increases to 2d10, just like Firebolt would. But when a hostile creature movement provokes an opportunity attack from you, you can use your reaction to activate this power rather than making a regular opportunity attack. So now, this one specifically lets you use it as a reaction which means you might be able to get it off more often than that. And then at the level cap, it now scores crits on 19s and 20s because, you know, heat does more damage, right? So mm. that's kind of what we went. And honestly, keep in mind, these are still play tests and they can be changed over time. But the goal is to make the powers change and evolve with the heroes. That's really what we wanted. Um, and that's true for uh, all of the at-wills. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the last thing to touch on as far as what... Uh, are the core differences would be the enhancements, I think. 
Um, yeah. Ian, do you want to tell people what the enhancements are? Basically, they're feats with more steps, but <laughs> that's kind of watering it down, but that's kind of like the shorthand version of what they are, but... Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. They're like feats mini feats, steps. I would say. Yeah. I would say they're mini feats. Because they all kind of do a small thing. But, right, but, but they, you... And they kind of like yeah, move over, over like uh, class features that we may have saw from like 5th edition, and make them an option that anybody can pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I call and, a win. Yeah, and that was that's definitely something. And a lot of them are more passive than yeah. your at-wills or your superpowers. So Yeah, they're, uh, they really are just like a bunch of passives. That's, that's a really good way to put it. Not a yeah. lot of them actively do something, really. Some uh, of them do, or- but most oftentimes not really. Yeah. Um, so good, some good examples of the brilliant mind, uh, enhancement says you are imbued with extraordinary quick intelligence. You get a plus two bonus to intelligent saving throws. Not a big deal unless that's your dump stat. Then that might be worth taking because you might need it. Um, some of the other ones, uh, like, uh, covering fire. This is a really cool one. If you hit an enemy with a ranged attack, you can inflict half damage and one ally within 10 feet of you can use a reaction to disengage and move up to half its movement speed. So that's actually an active one that's not passive that mm-hmm. basically is designed for somebody that wants to play a more supporty role. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for more damage amplification, you can get agonizing blast. It's not the same as the way it's described in the 5e game. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead, when you make a ranged power attack, you add a d4 to the damage it deals. That's it. Yep. Um, and that's that, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Two that should be the extra attack and enhancement. Yes. So if um, yes. So that was that was certainly a trade off. So there are some classes in 5e that just naturally get the uh, extra attack. If you mm-hmm. want to build a, a character that works with weapons or does a lot of punching um, outside of the speedster, you need to pick up extra attack as an enhancement. So what that does is it basically takes up one of your enhancement slots to be able to do that. But anybody can do it if they want. Um, yep. That was the only way I could find to balance the mixing of powers in offensive combat, right? Right. Um, and, and some of these are pretty familiar. Uh, you got the dueling fighting style expertise. Um, force armor, which is basically access to mage armor at will, uh, which is nice. Uh, some of the things that I think were really fun were the, uh, like the infiltrator, uh, where you gain adept point for, you gain proficiency in deception and stealth skills, and you get three adept points, and whenever you make a deception or stealth, you can spend a point to roll a d6 and add it to the result, um, and then you recover your adept points at the end of a long rest. You guys took those quite a bit. What did you think about that? I think use them in this game, but we did use these in a, as homebrew rules though, for, for uh, our Friday, other Friday game, and I enjoyed them quite a bit. I mean, I definitely used them in this one. Uh, we're talking about the, um, the added like, point dice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I thought they were crazy because like, one, I gained proficiency in both of them, which is awesome. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I like these two skills, and I'm not proficient in either of them. I am now currently proficient, and I gain adept points, which I get to roll an extra die, pretty much, an extra d6. But, I mean, a d6 mm-hmm. can change, a, you know, the failure to a success almost yep. at any point. So, I mean, and now that you're proficient with it, like, even the proficiency alone is, is so good, and being able to, like, kind of stack on top of that is even better. So, I, right, I right. thoroughly enjoyed that, because, like, my character really wasn't stealthy so, too, like, too much. But I took like a, <clears throat> oh, I forgot what it was, but uh, regardless, I, I took like one of these and like I was able, it gave me like deception and stealth. So I was just like, yeah, great. Now I can infiltrate anywhere, even though I never intentionally built it. Cool. <laughs> I still find it hilarious that charisma with my dumb stats, but I still had to bluff and deceive my way through a crap ton of things. <laughs> and then <laughs> somehow succeeded. You still did a good job. That's the way the dice go. So. Mm-hmm. All right, who's got that next one? Uh, I think that's me. Uh, what were some of the design challenges of this? What do you think? Um, trying to ensure that I scale. Uh, well, first of all, making sure there was plenty of options. Uh, one of the things that I was I wanted to target was I wanted it to be you to be able to build the hero that you want. And mm. so I had to find a way to make sure that those options are available without imbalancing the game. Luckily, 5e gives me a lot of good templates, but I'm still in the process of balancing some of the, the at-wills. The at-wills are probably the hardest because yeah. I want them to do more than they already do. 
And so I end up having to compare uh, a 17th level at willpower with like, well, how much could the fighter do if he just punched a bunch using a in normal, you know, 5e. So if I have a, mm. a fighter at, you know, level 20 how or 17, how much damage would he do in all attacks? What are the chances to hitting? And so making sure I get those balance right is certainly something that I have to play more with. Um, the rest of it came pretty easy. Um, I used uh, the Warlock uh, as a template because it has invocations and gets its powers back on a cool uh, on a short rest. So that gave me a really good jumping off point. Um, mm. But the hardest part really is getting the the wording right because Wizard Wizards of the Coast has very specific verbiage that they use, but sometimes they're even inconsistent in their own in their own writing. So that was certainly one of the the harder things. I spent a lot of time going through books looking for verbiage that was similar um, to ensure that I got it as close or matching correctly as I could. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was definitely one of the the bigger things. Um, the other challenge that I ran into is how to ensure that I make the rules different um, enough without imbalancing those because I'm using the same uh, the same progression tree for all of them. So I needed to make sure that there was enough options that going down the same tree didn't really seem like it was funneling you into a certain. <laughs> right. Roll. <laughs> but uh that was probably one of the the more difficult things. Um but I managed to do all right with it, I think. Um I guess we'll know when we get a group to level 20, I suppose, but um Right. I don't think they ever play tested level 20, I'm going to be right. honest. <laughs> I don't no, think Wizards of the Coast ever did. No, I'm saying like Wizards of the Coast in their own 5th edition game. I don't think they ever play tested level 20. I think they were like, "Ah, this looks strong. That's good." <laughs> I mean, so, like, I mean, saying what players do at lower levels, it's like, how do you balance out the higher levels? <laughs> I don't know, dude. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it requires just gameplay, I think, is the only way to really do it. Yeah, I mean, I can give you the example right now, but I'll save that for the DM tip. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, we do have a question that says, say I take one of those uh, adept enhancements, what if I'm already proficient? Then you'll get an adept die. It doesn't add anything out. So when you you're designing have. your character, <laughs> you should have chose something different. <laughs> that's what you well, should have yeah. done. <laughs> if you're designing your character and you know that's what you want to focus on, then that case taking the expertise enhancement might be better for you. Yeah, because then it'll double your proficiency bonus, which is better. It's not is better than like a uh, rolling an extra d6, but it's going to average out more frequently um, mm-hmm. and be better in the long run because if you take the expertise. At level 20, you're going to have a plus 12 to whatever it is you're rolling yeah, uh, versus a plus 6 and an extra D6. So early on, the uh, the expertise won't seem like it's as strong, but by the time you get to where you're averaging over 4, like at level 9, I think is when you get a proficiency of 4, then I feel like the uh, the the um, expertise is just going to be a better option but that's up to the player to decide um as they go um you can change out your enhancements whenever you want if the d with that the dm's discretion right so um and we kind of touched on this a little bit but obviously there were some design challenges you came across what are some other ways aside from what you already mentioned that you overcame these challenges uh, I had to do a lot of Googling. <laughs> I had to open a lot of books and compare a lot of things that already existed because I'm a newer designer. I mean, I've been doing it for a couple of years now, but there are people who have been doing it a lot longer than me. Dan Dillon, uh, Wolfgang Bauer, Chris Perkins, all the stuff that they've written is allows me to compare, okay, here's what they did in these sorts of situations. I can probably try to emulate that to make sure that... Um, everything is within where it needs to be and functional. The one thing that really helped me out more than anything is I have the, the book series by Cobalt Press uh, called uh, the Guide to Game Mastering. And there's also one that's Guide to Adventure Design and Game Design. And that really, really helped ensure that I have a good balance. So if you're looking mm-hmm. to do that sort of thing, I can't recommend those books enough. Wolfgang Bauer and all the writers involved in those did a phenomenal job allowing me to take on those challenges. Yep. What do you see for Kips and Crooks in the long run? 
Oh God, dude, I would love for it to be successful enough that that's all I write for. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. But... Um, I think that uh, in my mind, uh, obviously our Kickstarter is coming up on June 29th. After it's kickstarted, I hope that it becomes popular enough that people want more content. They want more missions slash adventures. They want more role books. They want more at wills. They want more, you know, they want more power so that I can continue to publish and create more content for this this game that I've, you know, put together and designed. And mm-hmm. that would honestly be phenomenal. Um, if it goes that far, that would be great. Um, I don't know how big exactly the superhero genre is, um, as far as, uh, the audience out there, but I know I, there's many, many people that grew up with comic books and being able to relive and play as their favorite superheroes is certainly something I can find a see being appealing. So Mm -hmm. it's super exciting. Uh, that's what I hope. (laughs) It would be great. Uh, but that's all based on the audience. So that'll do it for our main topic, uh, capes and crooks, superheroes in fifth edition D and D. If there's something you would like to see in capes and crooks that wasn't mentioned, um, please let us know. We're always welcoming new and fun ideas. I'm super excited. I did finish writing the first, uh, adventure that'll come with the Kickstarter. Um, so I'm super excited for that. Um, if you don't know, we actually recently also released uh, Whitaker's Well of Magic Items. Um, it's now available in soft cover and easy D100 table to randomly generate magic items for your fifth edition uh, of Dungeons and Dragons. Soft cover available now at criticemmy.com slash crit store. Definitely check it out. That's one of our hot sellers right now. So, yeah. And now, what you've all been waiting for our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Alright, and first off to kick off our UTTs, we got our character concepts. Corin Deborn, half-elf. This fat southern man has a bulbous nose and dressing just as in uh, well-wearing tan shirts, loose pants, and blazers most of the time. Interesting combo, his kale skin has an also unnaturally pale uh, complexion to it. He is fiercely devoted to his mother and views his mom's ex-spouse as an evil person for separating them from his legal half-sister. And personality-wise, while he can be a bit rude and blunt, he does have a softer side to him. He is consumed with his love of poetry. He constantly tries to fill his life with it. He was born to a pair of big game hunters, but was frequently ill as a child. He found a children's book about a half-elf expert who fought for good and justice, and never realized it was just a children's story. He modeled his life after this story, seeing himself destined to be a hero. He guards a bolt combo very seriously as well, as the key needs to open it. And as Movich needs to unite with his sister, and has a need for knowledge about a particular landmark of interest. Not gonna lie, though, between the combination of being a southern man and uh, rude and blunt, my personal is like a foghorn, leghorn kind of personality. <laughs> Ma'am, I know that you think the rule of your child there, but that boy be about as sharp as a bowling ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a fun character concept, straight into the for- uh, to the point. I really like that. Yep. Uh, I like the motivation, too, to reunite. Uh, that's always something that is interesting and appealing to me, because uh, they're venturing out to, to find a person, not necessarily a... Uh, uh, treasure, which I think brings more character. So feels a, feels a little more grounded, I guess is the best way to put it. Feels a little yeah. more real. So I can agree sure. with that. Yeah, this guy like, character really is kind of straight, simple, to the point. Very, very uh, easygoing kind of man who's just like, ah, well, <laughs> trying to yeah. get to my sister here. <laughs> Uh, that also makes me feel like they would take less risks too. Um, like, yeah, I'm not walking across that bridge. Looks like it's about to fall apart. Uh, somebody better grab a rope and tie it. When you get to the other end, I'll climb across. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. I think that'll do it for our character concept. Our monster of the uh, podcast is the Mana Drax. Ooh, I like this one. So for the Mana Drax, um, you're going to start with the stat block of the Giant Rat. Yes, I know, it doesn't sound very interesting. 
But I promise, Devoured Mana is an awesome new feature. When it makes a melee attack, dealing 1d4 plus 2 damage, if the target is a creature with spellcasting, it must succeed on a DC 10 constitution saving throw, or its highest level spell slot is drained away. Additionally, the creature contracts a disease. Oh, shit. Until the disease is cured, the target can't regain hit points or spell slots, except by magical means. And the target's hit point maximum decreases by 3 every 24 hours. If the target's maximum drops to zero, as a result of the disease, the target dies. And a new mana drax is created in its place. Huh. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, better if I remove curse pretty dang fast. <laughs> Paladins well, are uh, resistant against diseases. <laughs> However... The common man spawning more of these things will be an issue. <laughs> this will just can, let loose in a village. There's going to be so many of these things. Well, and it, it's so cool because it can, uh, you can basically have an entire, uh, entire, uh, village under attack and they chase it back to another village that just all became these things. Like mm-hmm. a little, you know, a wizard walked in town that was infected with it and done spread it to everyone else. The bastard. <laughs> Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, I like love that. it. I could see this definitely used more against like for story purposes rather than uh-huh. like actual combat against the players because like it's relatively speaking, it's kind of on the weaker side, so it wouldn't. Yeah, probably it goes down pretty quick. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it'd be too dangerous. To them, however, of course, with more of these things, I mean that can easily change. But I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, Andrew's making a monster like this called Faith Stealer, where it moves spell slots from clerics or paladins. I love it! It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that'll do it for our monster monster variant, the Mana Drax. Cool. And our encounter of the podcast is Bomb def- Device Diffusal. When running the bomb defusal, make sure to describe in great detail the fear and panic on the hostage's faces. Choose one of the hostages in advance or at random to be the bomber. This hostage should be notably behind cover, such as a pillar or heavy desk, to protect herself or himself from any explosions. If the bomb is disarmed, uh, success or failure has the character who disarmed it make a DC-19 investigation or technology check after the bomb defusal. On a success, they learn that the bomb attached wasn't actually designed to go off. This may clue the characters in as they disarm bombs to the truth of this hostage's charade. Uh, we went through this as the playtests, and we had failed significantly. But we can kind of go step by step on how it was done. Uh, so step one, first thing during this process is to roll five d6 dice on the table in front of the player doing the diffusing. Inform them that each die represents a circuit or wire in the device. Inform the player that one of the following sequences is needed to defuse the bomb successfully. Uh, Only odd, the player must remove all the even-numbered dice from the 5d6s. Only even, the player must remove all odd-numbered dice from the 5d6s. Low to high, so the player must arrange the 5d6 dice from smallest to largest. Or high to low, which is the opposite. So step two, the overseer secretly writes down the correct option from the four above, either by choosing or rolling a d4 and determining it randomly. Now, step three, on the character's turn, they can use their action to roll an investigation tech check. Uh, The result determines what they know about the proper sequence to defuse the bomb. So we're going to go into a little bit of what the rolls determine. So if it's six or less, the character has no idea how these bombs are built or function. They are pretty much dead to rights. Uh, Seven to 11. uh, The player may ask what rolled number belongs in the first position. Uh, 12 through 16. uh, The player may ask about what rolled number belongs in the first two positions. 17 through 20 is three positions. 21 through 25 is the first four positions. And if somehow they do a 26 or higher, they just know the correct order and they can say roll or high to low, low to high, so on and so forth. Uh, step four, the player then may use a bonus action to attempt to disarm the bomb. If the guess correct, uh, the bomb is defused. If they guess wrong, well, everyone probably dies. <laughs> probably. What did you guys think about this? I think uh, I think actually Seth was the one that did the majority of the Yeah, the Seth did do stuff. the bomb defusing. Uh, yeah. It was 
horrifying because as the guy who is not doing the bomb diffusing, you are putting your life in front of this man's hands right here saying, hey, don't let that bomb go off, please. And uh, you really hope that the bomb doesn't go off. <laughs> as you're trying to usher hostages out, if you're like, hey, guys, we need to get going. We need to, we got to go now. <laughs> and, and you can change this up, too. You can easily say that a wizard has placed Glyph of Warding uh, with an explosion rune on it, mm-hmm. and these aren't wires; they're arcane sigils that they and use just arcana check, right? Yeah. Um. So you can definitely, is... yeah. I was gonna say you could definitely reflavor this to be into a more in line with a fantasy, medieval fantasy D and D genre. Right. What did you think about this, Ian? I like the fact that this challenge you can run it as is multiple times, but get different results every time. Figuratively speaking. Right, right. Yes, which has a lot of flexibility. Yeah, and that's the that's the goal of it. Uh, I thought this was really fun. I totally did not write this. I found this on the internet. Yeah. Um, and it really uh, tickled my dice. So it was very. It is included. It's included in our uh, our Capes and Crooks uh, backer playtest in the adventure that's there. So, um, all right, that'll do it for our encounter: the bomb device diffusal. I really like this magic item. Do you? I do. It's a good one. Our magic item is the Demon Scale Mail. Obviously, it's, uh, well, Scale Mail is coming to the name, but it's also very rare for your attunement. And it's made of, like, uh, piecemeal skins, scales, and exoskeletons of demons. It forms a frightful but sturdy suit of scale armor. While wearing it, you gain the following benefits. You gain an additional plus one to your armor class on top of what you would already get. You are immune to poison damage. You have advantage on saving throws against being frightened. And, last, but definitely not least, as an action, you can speak the armor's command word. Each non-undead creature within 60 feet of you must succeed on a DC-14 wisdom saving throw or be frightened for one minute. And, if they fail by five or more, the target also ages 1d4 plus 10 years. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the a good one. The can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its terms, ending the condition on itself. If the save is un is successful, or the effect ends for it, the target is immune to it for the next 24 hours. The aging effect can't be, be reversed with a Greater Restoration spell. It can be reversed with a Greater Restoration spell, but only within 24 hours of it occurring. This feature cannot be used again until next dawn. Ooh. I want to say immediately, <laughs> hell yeah, I want some demon scale mail. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this is the coolest fucking thing ever. <laughs> Uh, I love I love the little addition of the the growing old. Yeah, like it's so for good. like a, a a human or something, that's a big deal. But for an elf, like, well, oh well. <laughs> yeah, it scared the shit out of me, but I, that'll yep. be okay. Then they look at their like their hair's falling out a little bit, like, oh my god, oh no. <laughs> yeah, this is a really cool one. I enjoyed this one. <laughs> I. I love the, okay, so I can just imagine this on, like, a plethora of my character ideas where I'm just like, oh, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to speak my armor, you know, fucking command word. And, like, a big old thing and, like, aura thing, like, my shadow creeps out from all under me and, like, starts grabbing at, like, their legs or something. And then it's like, no, fear me. <laughs> it's just like, ah. <laughs> Fear me, bitches. I am yeah. scared. But, and, Pretty uh, straight and to the point. I really like it. I loved it. it. So good. <laughs> That'll do it for our magic item, the Demon Scale Mail. So, our Dungeon Master tip, because I left the player tip to Justin this time. Uh, rearranging the scene when the plan falls apart, because we all need to know how to do that as DMs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, keep in mind that the players probably don't know they've gone off the beaten track. Uh, likely, they will never know. Uh, this allows you the opportunity to simply change where the track goes without anyone on the other side of the screen being the wiser. Take the example of the heroes investigating a town overrun by zombies. Your adventure notes. Uh, the characters are traveling when they are set upon a group of zombies on the road. In your original conception, the heroes fight and defeat the zombies and investigate where they came from, leading back to the town and the subsequent encounters. Uh, instead, your players decide that after the zombie attack, the best thing to do is to forge ahead as quickly as possible, not investigating at all, because who needs to do that? There's zombies running around. Uh, (laughs) instead of having the zombie-ridden town some distance off in the road, you might decide to put it right in the hero's path, just kind of expediting the process a little bit. So the road intersects with it, with no immediate signs of the zombies until they enter the town. Players don't know they were supposed to follow up leads from the prior encounter, and they don't need to know. 
you can just be shh about it. It's fine. A clue you <laughs> intended to have on the body of one of the zombies could not be found in one of the buildings in the town, or one of the zombies in town has it instead. Now, the players might decide the priority is not finding out where the zombies came from, but rather informing nearby authorities of the existence of the fact that there are zombies running around. Uh, this choice might also lead them right into the zombie-afflicted area, or it could be an opportunity for a quick diversionary scene where the heroes meet with the authorities, who then ask the player characters to investigate, sending them right back into the, the correct direction with newfound purpose. Now, as with most of these techniques, the trick is rearranging the scene in such a way that is invisible to the players that anything has changed. Uh, don't tell the players what their characters should have done at a given juncture. Just treat every decision as a given and move forward with it. Don't negate things the players have decided. Add to them and build upon them. Use statements like, yes, but, or, uh, and, yes, and, or versions thereof in response of unexpected player decisions. We are going, and is a quote, we are going to make sure to burn the remains of the zombies and then get to the next town to warn them as quickly as possible. Okay, but when you arrive in town, there are zombies there. <laughs> yeah. Who would have guessed? <laughs> I mean, obviously totally different, but the first thing I thought about when I read, like, just like the main uh, title for this tip was how, about how my Monday game, my players encounter a dragon turtle, which is normally a CR-17 creature, although they skip... The module skipped on its health, so it's a CR-12. But its opening move was Steam Breath, which, let me see, the Raging Barbarian completely tanked it because he made his save. The fire failed to save, got about two-thirds of his health knocked out in one shot. The Sorcerer just got KO'd, no, yeah, the Sorcerer got KO'd, and the bar was sitting there white as a sheet because he's at the very edge of the cone. And Lucky. then the Blard then cast Polymorph on it, <laughs> turned into a regular turtle. They picked him up, walked to a cave tunnel, yeeted it down there as far as they could, and then turned off Polymorph. And a he gets stuck in there? Here's the thing. The tunnel was 10 feet wide. Dragon turtles are 20 feet wide. So did it die? What happened? So I'm like, um, crap. Because the rules I need a don't minute. cover this <laughs> at all. Huh. Oh, very cool. So I'm like, I, I guess it's dead. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know what to do. It's dead now. I love the idea of it just being stuck there. <laughs> and then the tide comes in and fills it with stuff for him to eat. And he's just stuck there indefinitely. Um, it is so, worth noting this tip came from Cobalt Guide to Game Mastering, one yes, of the books I mentioned yes. earlier. Uh, I also kind of want to say, like... Uh, this might sound like railroading, right? Because you're like, well, then you're not really giving them a choice. That's not true. They had the choice. You're just rearranging the tracks <laughs> a little bit. Yes. And it makes their decisions feel like they're still making those decisions. And I mean, honestly, if you're like a DM who can think on the fly, then I mean, you're already probably well-versed in this. And this tip probably doesn't mean much to you, to be honest, because you yeah. already are probably making the building blocks in case like, oh, they made a left instead of right. Well, I had stuff planned for the left anyway. So, and I guess you guys will just go there now. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> or you're right. So. Anyway, without even realizing it. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, I'm a big fan of this. It really spoke to me. That's why it's in here. <laughs> yes. Yep. All right. That'll do it for our dungeon master tip. Our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by mas being the artful dodger. I like this one. I like it. Consider yourself knowledgeable in city landscapes, do you? Then prove it. This technique exploits the urchin city secrets feature and their knowledge of the urban environment by effectively quadrupling the speed and increasing the stealth of the entire party. There is no better or faster way to sneak through a city. By exploring the benefit of the urchin's ability to lead their party, effectively using their own speed as the entire party's speed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the time it takes to go from one destination to another in a city is halved and then halved again with the aid of haste. So long, uh, this along with the plus 10 bonus uh, to dexterity stealth checks from Pass Without Trace can effectively make the entire party nearly invisible. So, this comes from Big B's Handbook of Creative Spell Uses. The first thing you're going to do, cast Pass Without a Trace. Then you're going to cast Haste on the Urchin. Then, 
move quickly and quietly to your destination. It's like a bullet train, but yeah. it's made of human. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that. You're a human bullet train for your urchin, except they're not backpacking you or anything. It's just somehow the game works this way. We don't. We don't ask questions. <laughs> yeah, they know all the shortcuts. So they're and that applies when they, you know, do anything else that increases their speed too. So um, if you got boots of speed or anything else like that, uh, cast expeditious retreat. I mm-hmm. think is what it's called. Uh, all those things uh, that is all applied to the urchin. Then gets passed to with its feet. Their feature gets passed to all the party. And holy crap, it becomes a highway to hell. Anyway. <laughs> I can just picture. Uh, I can just picture it like uh, you're you're trying to like uh, beat like the uh, beat the villain to a location. You get the hell of him. How the fuck you guys get so fast? We parkoured our way over here. <laughs> we parkoured our way over here. <laughs> I love it. I jumped through so many rooftops. Uh, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, I teleported. I know. <laughs> 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 All right, that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, don't, don't be, be a, dick. a dick. You can buy dickitude by being an artful dodger. Um, that'll do it for our show today. Before we close out, we have another gift to give away. Compliments of our generous sponsor. And our fat loot giveaway this time around is Sauce, a Cursed Journal by Book Brew Games. A source book containing three new, brand new classes. Death Knight, Elementalist, and the Monstral. Twelve additional subclasses, new spells, items, and more. Our wonder today Ooh. is Flesher Floors. <music> Didn't win? Not a problem. Head over to CrackHammy.com, subscribe for your chance to win, and check out our items that we give away for free as is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Like I said, hopefully you'll come and join us for our Capes and Crooks uh, Kickstarter on day one. Uh, It really helps the algorithm. It cares more about number of backers than money. So even if you're willing to drop just a buck to support our our Kickstarter, please do on the 29th. We'd appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, Please join us on our next episode where we'll be joined by the awesome the mythical, the legendary Dungeon Dudes. Yeah, I'm super excited <laughs> to have uh, Kelly and Monty on. So we're going to talk to them about their dun- their uh, homebrew world campaign, the Dungeons and Draconheim campaign, as well as the fact that they're releasing a Kickstarter coming up soon that takes place in their their campaign, includes all their campaign stuff. So we're super excited for that. I was it was hard not to nerd out when I was in- talking to them. So. <laughs> I think they're actually one of the few D and D YouTubers I follow on some semi regular basis. So that should tell you yep. something right there. Yeah, yep, me too. I got you. Um, all right. If you enjoy the show and you want to support us, though, I mean, obviously head over to the Kickstarter. That means more to us right now than anything, really. But if you don't want to do that because you're a slouch, uh, we can always visit us at CritAcademy.com, where we have all of our you know stuff there. We have our social media, such as Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and YouTube. Please, please go to our YouTube. We like it there. And leave us a review on iTunes, because if you don't, I'll personally come to your house and slap you. Thank you. <laughs> Wow. That's our segment today. <laughs> You're so scrawny. It'd be more like a gust of wind. <laughs> uh, well, I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Dan. Thanks for listening. Keep your blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes. <laughs> <laughs>